Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, Joe Warner, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, I interview the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all of our exclusive unfiltered documentaries, video interviews, and investigations at unfilteronline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. I've followed your career for uh, 10, 12 years now, I guess, and I've seen you evolve through a number of different facets, right? Kind of the fitness modeling, bodybuilding, online coaching, and now one of the world's number one fitness online influencers. I was hoping, Steve, you could tell me a little bit about what you think it is that you offer or your attributes or your talents that meant you've been able to succeed in all these different areas. That's a good question, and it's it's really one that you know probably i don't i don't think about a whole lot i just try to be authentically myself and i think that's probably what it is in in terms of when you are not trying to be someone you're not um like right now i feel like i've been a little bit disengaged from social media meaning that i i've needed a little bit of a break kind of getting it back going but i think i've just shared you know personal struggles try to be just a real normal person that you know everyone can kind of relate to and i think that I don't shy away from talking about things, whether it's dealing with Morgan being in Australia, you know, being in kind of going through a bout of, you know, depression, if you can call it that situational depression to the highs and lows. And I think that ultimately makes people kind of be like, oh, I, I, I can kind of see, I feel like this guy and I would, would get along, hopefully. With the authenticity, is that something you consciously made a decision to do or was it just completely subconscious you just started filming one day and talking and and, and that's where you've taken where you've come from yeah i just think you know growing up in a big family seven kids it's just you know it's it's it just naturally how how i grew up and i think sharing things um communication in my family you know if you have seven kids in your in your family you're not communicating well you can imagine there's probably a lot of arguments and a lot of fights. And so you learn how to, you know, communicate well enough to, you know, I think get through to people. And I, my dad was a high school teacher and a coach. My brother is a high school teacher and a coach. And so as a coach, they're, they're basketball coaches. You have to be able to give cues, communicate to people in a way that gets through to them. Not always is, is necessarily how, how you want to communicate, but how other people can learn best. And I think Ultimately, that's probably just kind of rubbed off on me. So I, I think it's probably more of my environment growing up. Of all the career hats that you wear and, and you juggle, is there one that you particularly enjoy more than the others? Looking back, maybe some of your competitive sport around the bodybuilding or the yeah. is there any that you just like, this is this is me, this is 100% me? I think, you know, as, as much work as those expos were, you know, going to expos, I realized during COVID when the world was shut down, and it was really impossible to, you know, meet people on a face-to-face basis. I, I realized really quickly that I like one-on-one personal time with people. I like actually being in front of people, not necessarily the social media aspect. The social media aspect, I think, you can get kind of carried away with real quick. But that in-person, one-on-one time with people, um, I felt like that's where I, I got, I, you know, I felt like I could have the most impact and also... I feel like it impacted me the most as well. So that was def- definitely by far my favorite part career-wise. Now, I, I love the competing. I love I love trying new things and being bad at it, whether it's golf, which is like kind of my current obsession right now, or, you know, bodybuilding, just doing something, collabing with people and, and really pushing through to being, you know, it, it, it could be something like, you know, doing an Olympia prep, sharing that with people, or it could be something as simple as trying a new sport with someone and and being really bad at it but having a good laugh and getting through it a lot of people will look at your social media account especially if they're new to fitness and and you're obviously one of the names that will pop up given your profile and and how long you've been around a lot of people it's very easy to think you know you've become an overnight success where obviously i've seen it's been decades of work and growing that audience and and sharing and communicating was there any point steve if we roll back the clock to when you didn't think it was working, you maybe were tempted to throw in the towel for this social media world just wasn't for you. Yeah. I think because I was never 
my goal was never to build a big following necessarily. I, I was never looking at numbers and I was never, you know, setting out to be a influencer as, as we're now calling it. That word obviously didn't exist when I first started with this. So I, I was a kid that, you know, at, at 23 years old, I was happy to travel the world with optimal nutrition. And then my, my career kind of bodybuilding.com and saw a lot of good partners along the way. And now I feel like it, it's, it's harder now for me uh, being older and having kind of some different goals in life to feel, to still feel really passionate about posting on social media. I say to Morgan all the time, like I would love to do some pop-ups, love to do some meet and greets that constant, you know, like after posting for 10 years on social media, it's, it's almost like, you know, what else do you share? What else do you, what else do you post? And I really just get back to what are you passionate about, Steve? I'll ask myself, like, okay, where if the content isn't quite where I want it to be at, it's, you know, time to really just, again, you can never go wrong with sharing what you're passionate about, you know, helping people out, helping people, you know, achieve their goals. And and I think that's kind of, you know, what I try to always kind of as my, my North star come back to is, you know, where, where passion leads you, there's a, there's a reason that that happens and, and take that and, and run with it. And, you know, again, social media might not always be a passion of mine, but I think at the end of the day, helping people, I really enjoy that. It's almost you see it as a, a means to an end. You're using it because it, it's your it's your funnel to get through to people. If there was a yeah. better way of doing it, where you maybe didn't have to expose as much of yourself, you take it. Have I have I judged that right? Yeah, I just think that there is, you know, there's there's so much to social media that I feel like is kind of you know manipulation, whether. You know, it's and and also, you know, with the amount of different outlets there are now with TikTok and and I, you know, I, I scroll now through things and I'll catch me just like everyone else watching things that I'm like, is this making me feel better? Is this making me a better person, or am I just, you know, attracted because of the dopamine in my head? I'm just getting these little tidbits of entertainment or whatnot, and so I'm constantly scrolling, wearing out those dopamine receptors. So I catch myself doing that, and I feel like I always feel better if I go outside or I'm productive doing something uh, that isn't just aimlessly scrolling. So I know Morgan and I, we kind of like to not necessarily call each other out, but we we talk about like, hey, I can tell you've been on your phone a lot today. Maybe it's one of us is being more negative, but we really like to read. So we're, we're big into, you know, we both got Kindles for each other for Christmas. And so we're reading a lot more. And I think that that kind of, you know, it, it kind of resets you a little bit. You, you can definitely get caught up in and geez, you know, we talk about when we want to have kids and things like that. How do you kind of mitigate the risk that comes with social media? And it's, you know, it's one of the biggest problems I think we face, our, our especially children face right now. You've mentioned Morgan a couple of times. I hope I'm okay to ask because you do live with your professional life and your personal life on, yes. on social as well. Yes. Is that, is that obviously you, you enjoy doing that and, and you enjoy going on these adventures and posting about it. Yeah. But I'm interested, does it place pressure external pressure on a relationship especially when you're separated by covid by distance yeah. by loans can you talk me a little bit about you know your decision to publicly share not only what's going on in terms of the gym but the rest of your life i i think we're we're both just the type of people that we don't feel like we're actively having to go out of our way to share if we're if we're posting things i don't like doing like hey let's let's go create specific content and maybe this is why i'm not a, a better influencer because I really, again, if I'm not passionate about something, I'm not going to, I'm not going to typically do it. So it is one of those things that I think during COVID, you know, when it was at a tight, when we were locked down, when Morgan was in the country for the first time before she kind of went through a whole debacle uh, with getting back to Australia and quarantines and things like that. We really enjoyed making content together, just, you know, partner workouts. We had a little YouTube series, Battle of the Sexes. And it was always it was always something that we again we just had fun with. We do it when we're not on camera. We're both very very competitive people, so it might be a game of cards or whatever it is. Um, usually we're we're competing, but in a in a healthy way. Most of the time it's healthy where we're having fun with it and trying not to get too serious. So I think you know, and and especially when you have someone like we did who was you know we took eight months and we traveled the world during COVID, um, kind of kind of crazy looking back on it i couldn't get into australia she couldn't get into the u.s so we met in dubai we did the maldives we did greece we did england we did spain we did mexico we got engaged in greece and that whole time we took our good friend and videographer um alec baker along with us and it was just something to where 
it was just seamless. We were all the best of friends and we were creating content and looking back, I'm like, that was such a cool opportunity to do that. And again, it, it looked at the time I, w- I didn't feel like we were, you know, creating this awesome content, but anytime you're traveling to those types of places and, you know, exercising and eating good food and seeing amazing sights, it just, it comes a lot, a lot easier. I've spoken to a lot of influencers, both in the fitness industry and in other industries, Steve, and there seems to be almost a common theme that there is, whether or not they'll, you know, implicitly admit it or not, but a pressure to keep delivering content because it is so competitive. Firstly, do you feel that pressure and how do you manage your workload in terms of balance with social media and the rest of your life? That's that's a great question, the balance. I think really at the end of the day, it, it comes down to creating good habits and something I'm, I'm working on big time right now because I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I... I got burnt out with social media again after doing it for years and years and years it was something that i just i kind of got tired of and then going through what we did with morgan where i I did i had a little bit of situational depression where i couldn't it seemed like every single day we were waiting to get her into the u.s and a year and a half two years went by and it was just honestly it was it was heartbreaking so i think i kind of got little bit disengaged with social media and i think that you know it's always hard because if you have sponsors gymshark things like that you're you're kind of obligated to post um and i think that going through that it was trying to find like hey how can i stay healthy and still do things that you know i i need to do in my life but also be able to go through some of these personal issues and you know you try to share some of them but at the same time you don't really feel like posting youtube videos and exercise videos if if you're if you're again your passion your energy is going into this problem that you really can't solve and that's kind of you know something for me i've always felt like if i set my mind to something if i you know focus my attention and really push i can make something happen that was just out of our control with COVID and everything else so i think that that probably affected me i'm a little bit more you know than than i would have liked that i would have you know liked to even admit but it definitely was something that I think if anything gave me the ability to kind of step back and look at other people's situation, you know, you always talking, meeting thousands and thousands of people at expos, you know, who have, whether it's depression or other ailments or physical disabilities that necessarily I can't relate with, I can relate now with hardships on a level that I think gives me a lot more, you know, a lot more empathy for people that, that, you know, I meet and, and, share their stories with me because it is it, it, at times it can be debil- debilitating to go through something like that focusing on that social media burnout i think a lot of people watching this will have that moment where they're just sick of it they put their phone down and don't go on when it's your job what does that burnout feel like steve is it a gradual kind of gnawing sense that you're not happy or is it like a bolt from the blue and it just hits you i think it, it, i think it could be both um i think it, it's definitely more gradual um, in, in that you're like, hey, I, I'm I'm just going to post less this week. That turns into two weeks, and I think that ultimately, you know, you have to take take a step back and be like, hey, why, why am I feeling this burnout? Is it because I've been really pushing too hard, and that might mean, hey, I'm not, I don't have enough balance in other areas of life. Uh, it might be like you got to look at your systems, systems and habits right now are kind of where I'm getting back to. And any, I think, great business or whatever someone's successful at, whether it's a great athlete. I think that they have really good habits. Now, yes, talent comes into play when you start talking to that upper echelon of whatever career actors, athletes, you know, business people, whoever, there's a certain talent that those people have, but it's also hard work and, and correct habits. So if I can set up systems in my life that I know, hey, every Tuesday from this time to this time, I'm creating content for our fitness culture app. And then then all of a sudden, you're not having to feel like you're using you know, it's it's not a strain on you. You you've created habits to where now it's not taking anything to. It's not draining you. You're going through it because like you almost just like brushing your teeth. We talk about you know habits all the time, and brushing the teeth always is one. You go through that motion every night. You do it without even thinking. It doesn't take willpower. If I can kind of get systems in place where I, I have people that I trust doing the things that you know I might not be great at, um, I can concentrate on good content coaching. And inevitably, I think that that's what pushes, you know, a business or social media forward is being consistent, which, again, I can honestly say, you know, I haven't been at times. And, and again, it, there's also times when you're just like, hey, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to take some me time. And I think I think women do a lot better job. And with women, it's a lot more 
they're more understanding it's it's like oh yeah you know hun i girls you always see girls commenting like you know they're they're a lot more empathetic to that so i think sometimes as guys we're just like nope i just need to you know lace up the boots go to work not talk about this just push through and i think that that's something that you know again i try to be a little bit more transparent and talk about when you've mentioned that that the kind of depressive episode or however you want to frame it was it difficult for you to talk about that and, and be honest for a couple of reasons? One, as a man of a certain age, there is still kind of that stiff upper lip, you know, suck it up, buttercup, get on with it. But also something that I'm speaking to more and more people about is just this, if you're deemed to have the perfect body, money in the bank, a social media account, you're not really entitled to feel down. Like, what have you got to feel bad about? Was that anything you encountered? I mean, I think that I, I do try to keep things in perspective. Like, I, I do think that, you know, you can always say somebody's got it worse. And, and so that doesn't necessarily help people when they're going through tough times being like, hey, look at all the great things that you have in your life. Like, yeah, but this person I loved is in another country. We can't see each other. We've been apart. Like, there is, there's, you know, I never wanted to discredit what I was feeling. I think for me, channeling it and, and really having an outlet to talk to, you know, Morgan and I actually did a marriage prep class where, we wanted to go through and just be preemptive about things that might come up in a marriage, whether it's how to raise kids, finances, all these different things. Not because we you know we had any issues in our relationship, but because we wanted to get ahead of things. It's almost like, you know, you, you don't work out when you're sick. You know, you don't work out like, you know, hopefully you, you don't work out because the doctor's like, hey, you're obese. Hopefully you, you it's a lot easier to stay in shape and, and be fit if you kind of look at you know, getting ahead of that. And that's kind of where we wanted to be. So we, we did a marriage prep class and the guy that we used has been really important for us because we come back to him. You know, when I was going through that depression, I, I would go be, I would just go and talk to him, talk about business, talk about personal life. And I think that having someone that's not family, a professional in that situation, it really gave me, you know, a lot of good insight onto, hey, it's like, it's fine not to be okay with things. It's fine to realize that this isn't, you know, this isn't my norm. I don't typically feel like this and I'm going through something. Here's how I can help manage those things. And I think that that's probably one of the, one of the things that I, I try to be open about is like, there's nothing wrong with going to a, a, you know, a therapist, a life coach, somebody that is there to kind of as a person that is removed from the situation can offer support. Again, it's very similar to a personal trainer. People have you know, business coaches, they have mentors, they have personal trainers, all these things. It's like, we got to do that for our mental health as well. Since you've been honest and, and talked about some of the issues you've been with, have you found that people are coming to you, whether through DMs or other messages on social, asking for help? The reason I ask is I recently interviewed Joe Wicks and he says he loves it when he gets a message where someone says, you've changed my life. But it's also a huge emotional toll when it is come to him, very, very upset, very, very almost suicidal sometimes. Have you been exposed to that type of communication, Steve? And if so, because, you, you know, with the greatest will in the world, you're not qualified in, in that yeah. sense. To it, help. How, do you, how do you manage that? I, I think that, so anytime, yesterday is actually a perfect example of this. I had a, a gentleman come into the gym. It was his cancer-free day. Like it, it, he had been cancer-free yesterday um, for almost, I think it was almost five years. He went into remission and, he was saying, I remember going through cancer, watching your videos and, and you just being a very, you know, a big motivator for me, somebody that I looked up to that, you know, helped me get through that time. And of course, my first, my first thought kind of imposter syndrome is like, oh my gosh, this is giving me anxiety. I'm, I am no one to, to look up to Like you went through cancer. That's so much, much harder to do. Um, like I'm, I'm here. I am today struggling to get through my workout. Like I'm not an inspiration to anyone, but that has been discrediting his feelings and what he went through. And it's all of a sudden making his opinion like invalid. So I never, you know, I, I never try to be like to, to discredit what someone's saying, even if it's about me. So I always, I always try to just thank them for that. And then to talk, to talk about like what they went through, what their struggles were. And then to let them know, like for him, his story was super inspirational. And I appreciated, I could tell it was very emotional uh, for him, as he was telling the story, it, it gave me goosebumps and just sharing my feelings of how powerful that is and how he should share that story with more people. And, you know, whether it's cancer survivors or anyone going through a tough time, they can draw inspiration from that. So I, I, I try to always, again, I, I don't, 
I, I'm definitely not a therapist. I'm definitely not someone who who can, you know, give advice necessarily. But I just give it from a perspective of appreciation, and you know, here's somebody who's who's been through something more difficult than than you know than I could ever imagine, and and yet you know I, I feel like I'm just grateful but at the same time like i really just try to listen to him and and just just show how appreciative i am that that i i could mean something to him on whatever level you mentioned imposter syndrome there and i think a lot of people watching this would be very surprised to hear you use that phrase is that something that you've always had to deal with and and something you're still dealing with now yeah i definitely think i'm dealing with it more now than ever i think as you know someone who's now i'm 38 years old but i haven't stepped on stage in a long time you know that was my identity just like football was my identity growing up i was an american football player i was good at what i did i was a bodybuilder men's physique athlete i was good at what i did now kind of being 38 not having necessarily those those identity factors that are that are people putting on me but it's like okay hey where do i really who am i like how, how do i identify getting back to the, the things that that again if, if i can say you know like i'm this person if i'm gonna explain what i do who i am to someone you know when i was 18 i would have said oh i play i play college football first and foremost you know 10 years ago you know i would have said hey i'm you know i'm a men's athlete i'm a you know fitness cover model blah 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 all these things that now it's kind of like, Hey, I, you know, I, I really appreciate um, everything that, you know, has happened in my past, but it's almost, it's almost like, you know, I, I'm not necessarily those things right in this moment, but it's experiences now that I've drawn on that, whether it's, you know, a podcast that I hope to, to create. Um, but also it's like Morgan and I want to have a family, you know, being a dad, th- those types of things, but always being, I think, a, a coach on that fitness, healthy lifestyle. And I think then kind of just owning um, what it is, I, I think in my life, especially I've allowed, you know, I've put people in good places around me to help, to help, um, you know, with business stuff and things like that. But it's kind of like, heck, what's, what's the purpose again? It used to be, you know, like my purpose was traveling the globe, meeting people. And, and as much as I love that, you know, it's hard to have a family and do that. So I think for Morgan and I, as we settle down, we still want aspects of those things, but it's again, where is your passion at right now? And, and, you know, I love golf. It's a hobby. It's never going to be more than that. But I love trying to implement, hey, you young kids out there, let's talk about mobility. Let's talk about, you know, functional movements. So let's talk about, um, you know, having a, a core that's explosive that you can use dynamically and things like that. So it's, it's being a coach on a different level, but um, just always, always try to be passionate about health and fitness. Have you felt, as someone who's been a, a, at the top for so long in terms of, you know, fitness modeling, have you always felt a lot of internal pressure to maintain a certain physique? You know, I often speak to people and, and it would be they want the Steve Cook body. It was that athletic, functional physique, right? Did you feel a lot of pressure to, to look a certain way? Uh, I definitely did when I was competing. You know, when you're when you're down at three and a half, four, four and a half percent, you know, when you're just absolutely shredded and that, again, that becomes your identity. If all of a sudden you gain 15 pounds, you're in the off season, it's no longer... You know, if, if you make your identity about how you look, it's always going to be up and down, up and down. So I think that for me, it was kind of having a paradigm shift to where it's like, it's less about how I look and it's more about how I can help other people. And that is always something that now, yes, of course, you have to practice what you preach, but there's a difference. You know, I had to get kind of back to the point where it's like, what is healthy? What is healthy for me? How, what does that mean? Body fat percentage wise? What does it mean from blood work standpoint? What does it mean? Because competing, just like I, I've always said, competing just like running a marathon isn't the healthiest thing. Like you're pushing your body to an extreme. Anytime we take anything to an extreme, you flirt with that unhealthy boundary. You know, I look at Ross Edgley, love the guy. He's king of pushing things to extreme. You see his skin kind of all weathered up. But at the core of it, he's a healthy individual who pushes his body into situations that might not always be be the best thing for him in that moment he's a better person in the long run for it so it, it's kind of like that give and take so i always kind of get back to hey it's not about necessarily how i look it's about am i healthy am i able to go through things and, and help people be you know really achieve their healthiest version of themselves as well and again later on in life it's it's also bringing in more of the the mental aspect of things the the you know being more balanced i think my my first website was steve cook you know health and it was physical, spiritual, and, uh, you know, it was physical, spiritual, and then like mental, 
Like it was like all these pillars of health that, you know, when you, when you focus too much on one and neglect others, your overall health, the overall picture of what your health looks like, you know, isn't, you know, you might look healthy, but mentally you're not, or you might look healthy, but actually physically, you know, your blood markers and, you know, whether it's, you know, your, your hormones or your, you know, cholesterol, it doesn't necessarily mean you are healthy. I think so many people in the fitness industry and, and wider in the wider world, especially younger people, it's very easy now with the technology we have and the social media platforms to seek external validation at, at all costs. As someone who has not only been an influencer, but has been on a bodybuilding stage where external validation is, is, is literally what you're chasing, right? How have you managed to navigate the last 15 years where you are being criticized or complimented for your body? And it's very difficult to separate your internal sense of, of worth, I imagine, from what the world is telling you. 100%. It, it definitely, look, I'll, I'll be honest and say it, feel, it feels good when someone comments, oh my gosh, you know, I love this about you, love that about you on those external things. Everyone, you know, wants to have, you know, it's nice to have a compliment, but I think again, it's where you put validation. And and I've gone through the pendulum of putting too much of who I am self-worth wise on those physical looks on winning shows. But what happens is it just as easily as it's given to you, you know, you get second place in a show, third place in a show, all of a sudden you start feeling bad about yourself. So you have to, you learn real quick that um, if you do that, you're going to be constantly on that roller coaster. And so I think for any actual competitors out there, I think that really keeping a journal, always being able to, to write things down and, and having goals outside of like, hey, I'm, I'm, my, my goal is to compete and win this show. And then what do we see? Two weeks, three weeks after the show, they haven't gone to the gym as much. They're feeling crappy. They're eating worse because they don't have these long-term habits that they've set up. They're not going back to the gym and switching up. Okay, now I'm going to focus on performance or I'm going to focus on mental health or I'm going to focus on relationships or business. And so I think that they haven't had, you know, they, they might be chasing something for the wrong reasons. And again, that's where not to, you know, not to talk about systems too much, but you know, if you're working out because you love to work out and you get ready for a show just as a byproduct of it, as a, as, as something that you're going to, take you have some time in your life um it's a goal of yours to do great but it's not your end all be all i you know i talk to so many people they're like i just want to compete until i get a pro card and i'm always kind of like compete to get a pro card you're going to get that pro card and you're not going to feel any different than you are right now yes there's that oh my gosh i did it that that you know that 24 hours of euphoria you still got to wake up on monday and go to work you still got to wake up on monday and and realize okay that goal i've conquered that mountain now what? And I can tell you some of my loneliest moments, I think, when I was living in LA and I was, you know, winning shows, showing up the next day, you know, being a Sunday after a show and being like, okay, I got, I got, I got nothing coming up in my life, you know, immediately that I'm, I'm training for, you know, and I would binge eat. I would, you know, feel, feel lonely because again, those, those goals that, you know, I thought were going to be the end all be all, I was going to make it be at the top of the mountain they're never they're never as good as you think they're going to be because again really what we we come to love and you have to love the process of getting there and that that you know again monday morning if i love you know actually exercising if i have a hey i'm going to really concentrate now on building a, a strength phase there's no letdown it's just like hey i'm i'm here in the gym now and i've got different goals i'm just as excited about those things and i think that's a much healthier aspect rather than always constantly looking for the outside um, kind of pat on the back is, is really looking about, uh, again, what would you want to accomplish long-term? And if it's being healthy, it's not always staying at 4%. If your overall goal, your identity is being a healthy person, and that was for me why I had to stop competing. My overall goal was to be very, very healthy. Now, people are like, well, what do you, what do you mean, Steve? You're 4%. That's not healthy. So I had to kind of take, take, a, step back, take a step back and back, okay, my identity and actually competing are conflicting with one another. And that was a tough thing to do. I think you were probably one of a handful of guys who turned up for a top-off photo shoot who didn't kind of caveat it with, oh, I'm not in great shape or I'm not I'm not, not feeling it right now. And it kind of dawned on me that a lot of these guys who are walking around looking better than 99.9% .9 of people ever will aren't feeling very comfortable or very happy in their bodies. 
how, is that something you've you've had to you've struggled with? You know, body dysmorphia is a term that's kind of thrown around. But have you ever looked back at pictures of you when you were younger and, go, and think, my God, I'm in amazing shape? But you know, at the time, you weren't happy. Oh, all the time. I, I'm constantly looking back. I mean, this happens, and I catch myself. I remember my brother one time though, who who has never been big into lifting. You know, I said to him, I think I was, you know, a little fluffy after a show. I said, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I feel, I, I don't know if I said the word obese or overweight. And he just said, you make other people feel awful when you say stuff like that. And he might've said, when you say shit like that, like that is stupid to say, like, again, getting back 99.9% .9 of the population doesn't look like that. They would kill to look like that. And here you are kind of belittling them by saying things like that. And so it made me realize real quick that it's like, hey, but we live in these echo chambers on social media. I, I follow all of these super fit people. So, and they're always posting pictures of their magazine covers or their, their competitions. So you think everyone else in the world is living at 5% body fat and it's just not the case. And, and so I think, again, it, it, everything kind of comes back to perspective and things like that. It, you go through it, you learn, you learn from things. And that's kind of like through this fitness journey, it's just constantly learning about myself and, and about what, what really means, what it really means to be healthy. And, and you know, when, when I came in and, and took my top off, I can guarantee you inside I had some angst, like, oh, I might not be, you know, because you always are comparing yourself to that stage level 4% body fat. So I'm sure I had some angst about it, but um, I think that also it's one of those things that over time, I've just realized that like, this is who I am. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm not going to always be 4%. Um, and, and again, when your identity is more than your physique, when your identity is, you know, if you can make it about a big part of it, it's about health. Um, then it becomes all of a sudden it's, it's like, I, I'm more than just this physical body that I have. Alongside the, the body dysmorphia, disordered eating patterns, or however you want to phrase it, a, a, a dysfunctional relationship with food seems to be very, very common. Would, can you talk about any issues you might have had? Because when you are trying to get to 3% body fat, obviously nutrition is a huge part of that. And did you find yourself looking at food in just numbers of macros? And how did yeah. you get through that to get back to a healthy relationship with food? Yeah. And, I, and, and a healthy relationship looks different for everyone. Like I, I have a friend that, you know, he has tracked macros, I think every year for about eight years. He doesn't have a family. You know, he's a lawyer himself, doesn't have a significant other. And, you know, he enjoys actually eating the same foods every single day. It's it's not like he has anxiety about, you know, if he doesn't track things and things like it's just it's just easy for him because he has kind of the same foods. He's made it a lifestyle where, you know, he, he kind of, you know, he can kind of guess on things like that. For me, um, you know, I, I can remember not knowing how to eat if I wasn't looking at a clock every two and a half, three hours, I had a meal. I had the same types of food. I remember getting done with the show or, or, you know, not competing for four months and being like, how do people just make a sandwich in the middle of the day when they're hungry? Like, how do you just eat when you're hungry? That's so, that's such a weird thought to me. Like I, I've done this for five years, like eating when I'm hungry and not on a clock was so foreign to me. Um, and I think it's just as, has taken a lot of time, um, to realize that I trust myself. Like I, I think everyone in their life should count macros. They should be familiar with it. I think we should teach it in school. We should teach how to read food labels and we should teach how to weigh out your food. Um, and so I kind of always, you know, I always tend to think of it more or less as like, Hey, I've done it for years and years and years. I can eyeball things. And I feel really good about that. If, if I was ever getting ready for a, a you know, a show or, uh, you know, a photo shoot, you have to sacrifice some other areas of your life to then become a little bit more hyper-focused on, I got to count some calories. That doesn't mean I'm going to be OCD and think less is more and, and, you know, restrict, restrict, restrict. It just means that like, Hey, I need to know what I'm putting in my body so I can, I can get to this goal that I have of being X body fat or, or a certain way to, to look for that magazine. Um, but I also think in the, in the hindsight, we don't talk enough about reverse dieting and people get done with this show systematically again because you don't know how to eat you've been eating on a clock you've been eating weighing out everything it's like it's almost like when you have these addictions we'll call that an addiction to to you know to your fitness goals and things like that you can't just go cold turkey and quit you have to slowly implement okay more calories okay now i'm gonna take the weekends and i'm not gonna count macros i'm just gonna have have fun and then all of a sudden it's it's a lot less there's a lot less anxiety that comes with it because you realize hey 
I did it for a day and I didn't, you know, I didn't break the bank. I think the biggest thing that I had to come to terms with one slice of pizza is very different than a whole pizza. And that was kind of my mindset. It was all or nothing. I was either 100% on my diet or I would have a bite of something that I deemed bad and the floodgates open and I would binge eat. And I think that's what I see a lot of people doing because they label this good or bad and they put so much guilt you know, this self-guilt that we impose on ourselves, whether it's religion sometimes, whether it's eating, whether it's, you know, whatever it is that we we impose, it, it usually is way more harmful than the, the act that made you feel guilty in the first point. And so I think there's there's got to be some self-love in there. A lot of a lot of fitness people don't, you know, they kind of, it's kind of like Ben Stiller on, I think, heavyweights where he just kind of, he kind of hates himself. And that's why, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a good relationship with himself with food and things like that in a manifest looking back on how, how your relationship with food when you were competing do you recognize that as you having an eating disorder um no i mean i i had i think some of the eating disorder that i had was like you know i would chew food and spit it out um you know what kind of clinical eating disorder you know the the, the crazy counting and things like that um i, I never realized how that wasn't re- really normal and my again is like everyone i followed did it this is how you get lean um i and and now i again i realize that some people can manage pretty well doing that like i could not i can't weigh out my food every single single day of my life um but i i love the idea of kind of knowing hey in this food group in this meal i i know like that has a ton of fat i'm gonna you know i kind of always view things as you know, kind of like a, like a bank account. If, if I have a certain number of calories equaling to cash every single day that I can spend, how do I want to best spend that to then get the most bang for my buck back? And whether my goal is to gain muscle, lose, lose fat, maintain, um, I can do a pretty good job of, of, of looking at things and being like, you know what, I'm going to leave off the cheese and guacamole on my Chipotle. I'm just going to go with extra chicken on there, lettuce, pico de gallo, and it's still going to taste great. I'm not going to be like, oh, I hate my life. I'm eating something miserable here. But I know that like that, those small changes built up over and over meals throughout the day are going to lead me to a place where I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm eating where I should be. As someone who has been and, and is in amazing shape, but has openly had issues around body dysmorphia and some disordered eating patterns, you're very well placed to give advice and to lead by example on social media. But the algorithm kind of rewards sensationalism and, and dogma and very, very controversial views. Are you finding it increasingly hard, Steve, to kind of get your balanced, healthy living message across against some of the more controversial figures who seem to be dominating on social? Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, social media echo chamber for just kind of where we're at in society right now. I think kind of sensationalism sells. We see that in the news. I really feel like that was a, if we look back at what news and mainstream media, what it was 25 years ago and what it was, what it is in today's day and age. And it's almost like those are the places that I see things being affected the most by social media. It's like mainstream medium has completely changed how they report on, on news because they have to keep up with clickbait. So everything is that sensationalism clickbait. And so I try not to get too caught up in that, but I, I do think that it is, it is like we, we tend to gravitate towards, you know, towards those videos that people call each other out. You know, I, I even follow some people that, you know, he's a, he's trying to do good. He's a, you know, a very educated um, doctor knows his stuff when it comes to nutrition and he's kind of calling out the, the BS on Instagram. On one hand, I'm like, good. Like, you know, those people that are out here just spreading, you know, the bullshit, on the other hand, it's like, man, we, we focus so much on, on you know, I guess talking about what we hate rather than promoting what we love. And and that's like, if he just went on and talked about, you know, proper eating habits rather than showcasing someone else's video, I often think, you know, would he get as many views and is it as powerful? And, and, and unfortunately, I think that human nature just is what it is. But um, it's just a decision I think we have to make. I definitely do find it, you know, I tend not to try to promote you know, too much eating stuff because I'm not a certified, you know, nutritionist and things like that. I'll share my meals and things like that, especially if I'm having a, a certain goal. But I think I ate so many years of, of, you know, the same bland food that 
I probably, you know, like I'm not the best to follow when it comes to awesome meals and things like that. Like you mentioned Joe Wicks, like that guy does a great job of creating really cool meals um, where I'm more of like, Hey, I, I don't mind, you know, more of the bland foods just because I used to eat so, so bland. So now for me, like, you know, again, a hot sauce, salsa, that kind of stuff goes a long way. With, um, with social media and being served images of, of great looking guys, great looking girls, you know, you're someone who's been at the forefront of this and has showed your body. But what always amazes me, Steve, you know, you and I being in the fitness industry, it's very easy to look at somebody and go, they're on steer, on gear, they're on performance enhancing steroids because you can tell. But what amazes me when speaking to people outside of the industry is they, they can't believe it. They, they, they're just really, really surprised. There's a huge disconnect between what the average person thinks is is realistic. So I'm going to mention the liver king, someone who's recently exposed for claiming to be natural, but has been been using. Do you find that as well? There is a disconnect between conversation when you have conversations with people about what is a realistic body someone of a certain age can attain. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely see that, and I and I and I think back to like where in my life did I realize I where could I spot someone who definitely was taking performance answers? and I, and I had a buddy I think probably two and a half three years ago say you know you know do you think the liver kings he's so adamant about it. I'm like it's not even a question like we're not even like I would bet everything that I own on the fact that the liver just just based upon skin and what I know from now there are there are some genetic outliers out there. Um, you know, that, that are absolute units that I think that, you know, professional, a lot of professional athletes we look at, um, they, 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 they have unusual amounts of, you know, muscle to body fat. I know that there's, there's video, YouTube videos on, you know, like how much muscle can a, a natural athlete, um, build. Um, and, and so I do think that there are some, again, genetic outliers out there, but for the most part, Yes, it's very easy. And I'm always, I'm always kind of like, wow, you know, like that, that person, you know, asking about Mr. Olympia and like, oh, those guys are all natural or they, they test for that. And I'm, I'm just thinking I, it's, it's not even so much about, you know, if they are, or if they aren't, because in my head, I know that they, they are. It's just like, it's interesting again, as a society, um, we, we don't, we don't know the difference. And I think that it's, I always kind of go back and forth. Like, what is the difference? you know, somebody who gets a lot of surgery, I feel like it's the, it's the male version. And obviously some females definitely are, are on, you know, pro hormones and steroids and things like that. But I, I really think in our day and age, it is males trying to enhance their looks to the people. And I think it started really, you know, I would say my generation, like growing up watching Jean-Claude Van Damme on Bloodsport, watching all the Rockies, watching all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, every single action hero was on steroids and at the time mainstream media probably didn't know like they didn't know Sylvester Stallone or these guys you know you know were probably probably taking things um but that's what I thought was the ideal you know shape the ideal man it wasn't it wasn't Steve Reeves necessarily until later on in life I I kind of discovered him and thought wow this guy's physique looks a lot more attainable it's it's natural um these other guys I think that are you know, they, they look good. They were imprinted on my mind. Like, hey, that's that's how you, you want to look. And I think American Gladiators, I w- just watched the Netflix series on that show. That show was so impactful for me as a kid. Like, I watched those guys and I was like, I want to be an American Gladiator. So, I think I think in today's age, now it's social media that does that. And now, obviously, you have people like the Kardashians that, you know, we're starting to realize, like, hey, that's, that's, that's not natural. Um on the men's side of things, it's the same thing, you know, with, with a lot of these these guys that we look up to, The Rock and things like that, not natural. What, where's your line in the sand then, Steve? Because I'm like you, I'm a little bit older than you, but growing up in the same kind of era, seeing those big action stars, it does imprint on a young young boy's mind about what a man should look like. And we're seeing it now in social, on social with these huge guys claiming to be natural. Are you worried about what young people, young guys thinking when they see this do you feel that there is a moral or an ethical obligation for people to admit when they're using yeah look I, I again i think it's the same thing do we do we want every woman out there who is, has plastic surgery to disclose that as well for young girls and i think it's it's what do we want in society we want you know do we want everything you know you would you would hope that everyone is is pretty open about what they take um, and if they are, and if they're claiming natural, I think that that's the big thing. If you are out there adamantly posting that you're this natural person, like I'm, I'm natural right now. Like I, 
And what I say is right now is like, I've taken TRT in my life. I've taken substances I wouldn't claim as natural. Um, but for me, I try to go to the doctor, ha- have mar- healthy markers. My testosterone is low for the, the longest time from, from dieting. I'm not going to go out there and tell people, oh, I'm all natural. You know, like I did pro hormones when I was in college. Um, it was over the counter. They were just as nasty as steroids. So I think this idea of, you know, what is natural is also, you know, there's some gray areas now with SARMs and peptides and things like that. But I'm all about optimizing health. Now, just like anything else, you can take, hey, getting to a healthy body fat of, you know, 12%, 10%, getting to a, an unhealthy body fat of 4% might seem healthier. And I think that, but really you're, you're abusing, you're now going, you're abusing exercise. Um, you know, you're taking it to a level that might not be healthy for you. Obviously that's, that's going to be between you and your doctor. And I think that that's kind of always what I go back. I'm not, who am I to say like, Hey, don't go out there and take this, this, and this. All I can do is say, Hey, I, I want to be as healthy as I can. The way I do that is I'm going to make sure that I, when I go to my doctor, I'm getting all of my blood work done. I'm looking at, you know, like how am I feeling? So when I, when I talk to a doctor, I'm like, my testosterone's you know, 320. I'm not feeling great right now but I want to have kids. And so there, there is, I think ways of being again, healthy while maintaining, um, you know, goals and looks and things like that. I think we see a lot of Hollywood actors, even still today, you know, you look at the Avengers and things like that, you know, a lot of them will take things, peptides and whatnot for, for roles and things like that. That's their livelihood. And I think that ultimately, you know, it's, you know, if a model has, you know, breast implants, that's their livelihood. Is it making them feel better? There's all these outside factors that I think that we have to look at and we can't judge people. So if, if, if I see someone on steroids, I'm not going to ever, you know, judge them unless they're out there preaching that they're natural. And I think that that's probably the issue is like the liver king. He was so adamant that he was, was natural and that's going to come back and probably bite you in the ass. Looking back on that time when, when you were using, how influential do you think the, the performance enhancing substances were in terms of your bodybuilding career? And on a follow-up question for that, would you go back and not do them if it didn't mean you had the career you had now? Um, I go back. I, 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 I think about this quite a bit. Like, again, so I played college football. We were tested. I did natural bodybuilding. We were tested, polygraph and urinalysis. Um and then as I got into the competing world, it came, you know, into men's physique on that Olympia stage. It, it became very apparent um, early on that you're not going to be able to, to win to these top level shows. It's not an even level playing field because there's guys that are taking four or five compounds. And that's inevitably when I decided to quit competing because I felt like, you know, if I'm doing all of this stuff to, to, to be competitive, I then lose my identity as someone who preaches health. And, and that was a personal decision for me. It's not for everyone. Some how people, I think. That, sorry to jump in, Steve, but how difficult was that decision? Because you're almost looking at a fork in the road where you yeah. go down there and you decide to take whatever additional to what you were taking yeah. in the first place, knowing that your health is going to be compromised or completely getting off the track. That must have been a difficult decision for someone who spent a number of years trying to get to that stage. Definitely. I think definitely. And I think the hard thing is, is there's no, like, there's really no gray area. Again, like if they were competing naturally and everything was an even playing field, um, you can, you know, it's an easier decision, but it's hard to be kind of like, oh, I'm going to be one foot in the door, one foot out. Like I'm going to, you know, you have to realize that you might not place as well because again, your, your, your size isn't this. And I think, uh, you know, it's almost like, because I'm the type of person I am with my competitiveness, I would have wanted to push the envelope. If I, if I decided, Hey, I'm going to jump into this. There's no, there's no, like, there's no doubt in my, my mind um, that I would have been able to compete at the highest level and maybe won some, some, some shows, but I would have had to be on those three, four, you know, sometimes even five compounds because you have, you know, you have your, your testosterone and then you have cutters and you have all of these different, these different substances in your body that again, like we celebrate people that do that because again, just like, you know, just like any other athlete, they're, they're using those tools to get to like, you know, I I always love when, you know, some of these competitive bodybuilders, it it is a combination of super duper hard work 
Um, but it's also, it is a, you know, pharmacy race too. Like it is who, who is, you know, responding to what. And, and ultimately I think that that's a decision every competitor is going to have to make. And again, I don't judge, there's no one I judge for, for doing things because I've been in those, in the, in that person's shoes where it's like, man, if I just took this, this, and this, I could, I could compete on, you know, on a, on a higher level. And I, and again, it's, it's just, it's just one of those tough things. And I'm not going to even say, you know, Hey, who's to say in three or four years, I decided to jump on stage and, and compete and take a, that's, that's a decision that I'll make at the time. So I think it's, it's just a personal decision that, um, ultimately for me, it wasn't, it, it didn't, it didn't help me create, um, this person. It, it wasn't a part of my long-term term goals, which who I identify with, because again, at the end of the day, I couldn't be healthy. How hard did you push the envelope, Steve, if I can ask that? And then how quickly did you notice a change in your physique? Because obviously at, at college, you were drug-free, you were playing sports. And if we, you, you're someone who strikes me as always having a great physique. What, how far did you push it in terms of substances? And, and how quickly did you see a change? Yeah, no, I, so it started off, I, you know, again, we did over-the-counter pro-hormones, like the Maguire days, like in baseball when everyone was on these pro-hormones. Um, in Utah, these pharmacies, or not pharmacies, these gyms and supplement stores, I think they had pro-hormones that were, again, pretty nasty. The side effects were gynecomastia and things like that. Um, you know, then you have like the woman, the, the, the woman enhancing, you know, like the Winstrol and the Anavar. And I think that I, I, I probably, yeah, I, I never really took testosterone. It was always, you know, a Winstrol or an Anavar to help me get lean and retain size. Um, and then it wasn't until even after I got done competing that it was like, okay, my testosterone's super low. And it was because some of the side effects of those other things are to shut down your natural testosterone. But for me, it was like, I never like testosterone in my head was like, I'm going to get gigantic if I start taking that. So, um, you know, that really wasn't part of my competing, um, regimen. And I think that it's kind of, I think the base of every, of every bodybuilders now is like, you testosterone is where you start. So I think that, uh, my last show is, you know, like I, I competed in that and was on, you know, like a prescribed testosterone, very low dose of that. Um, but again, it's, it's, I, I think back, I often will think back, you know, just in those moments of like, man, what could I have done if I had taken four or five different substances? Would I, you know, would I have won a couple Olympias? What would have that done for my life? Would I be in any different spot? Would I be a better person for it? Would I feel like I, you know, you know, looking myself in the mirror, would I, you know, would I, would I feel any different? I don't know. So it, to me, it's, you know, I have, you know, daydreamed at times about like, okay, if, if I just went hard all in on that, um, you know, could you accomplish this end all be all Mr. Olympia type thing? But for me, I just think, you know, in, in, when I'm 60 years old with my, with my kiddos, will that, will that have mattered? I don't, I don't know. So you, you talk about it not as though it was a regret, more as just an interesting thought experiment. Because yeah. knowing what you said about your personality being all or nothing was part of the reason you held back, knowing that you didn't know how far down that road you would go. Right. Yeah. I am an, definitely that all or nothing, and I, so I think it's like, you know, I would have, I would have, if I decided to be in that world, in that industry, um, I would have, you know, pushed the envelope. And, and tried and, and unfortunately now I feel like I've, I've seen more deaths in the last two or three years um, regarding you know bodybuilders some people are you know making COVID vaccine like ooh, so many other people are are drawing conclusions I do feel like we've had an unusual number of young bodybuilders dying um, and you know I'm not a doctor I can't say what has led to that um, but it is kind of it's kind of been interesting to 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 see it happening and and again it's like we we really don't know you know what the effects of taking all of these compounds at a young age is doing to people and even peptides even SARMs those types of things so it is you know I think that's the biggest thing is if you're a young person I always tell people that have asked me like you know the big Steve I you know like I'm I'm thinking about taking steroids it's like, that's such a personal decision. I'm not going to try to, to tell you which way to go or, but I, I always will say, have you maxed out your potential naturally? 
if you have it, keep going with that. If you're a young person, keep going with that. Now, if you want, if you're, if you're, if your biggest aspiration in life is to be Mr. Olympia, know that sometime down that path, it's going to, it's going to be something you have to address. You're, you're going to have to either jump into it or you're going to say, Hey, actually I'm changing my goals. And I think that for some people are like, it, it is like, Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't really know that. Um, again, the further you get into competing, the more and more, you, you know, like you, like me, you can recognize somebody who's, who's, you know, on, on things and, and not just testosterone, you know, there's, there's other substances that I think, you know, whether it's people's skin, they, they change their whole, it looks like their whole facial structure changes. I'm like, geez, whether it's HGH or, you know, just whatever. I think that the, the other issue as well is that as we're seeing social media, these social media fitness guys become superstars and portraying an unrealistic body image. It's not just people in the fitness industry that maybe are drawn to, the, to steroids and other performance enhancing or physique enhancing um, products now. And it's, it's one thing doing it when you are meticulously training, logging everything, having the blood work. It's another issue entirely when you're taking almost recreationally to get ripped for a holiday in Ibiza or doing it for, you know, just, just to look good walking around town, right? That's obviously got to be something we should all be concerned about, especially with young guys, just, just almost recre- recreationally using it to look good right. without second thought to their mental health or their long-term health. And I think, unfortunately, probably, I, I think I read 90% of steroid users are just recreational. They're not, you know, just because the amount of people that compete isn't isn't really a, a big number. Um, so most steroid users are. And again, it's like, who am I to judge, you know, if, if, we're, if we're getting back to body image, you know, how much of it is, is they want to look like X, Y, Z. I think it's being able to make sure it's always our, the, the individual's responsibility to be as informed as possible, what you're putting into your body. I don't care if it's, you know, you see some girls removing their, their breast implants because they read up and realized like, yo, I don't, maybe I don't want to do that. Again, I'm, I, I have, I'm no one to judge on, you know, whether it's, breasts, lips, steroids, like it's, it's a personal decision. It's how you make them feel. I mean, we're seeing things in today's society. And again, this becomes a moral conversation real quick when you start talking about, okay, at what age, you know, even kids on, on hormones to, to change, um, you know, puberty and puberty blockers and things like that. So it's a whole nother route, but we in society, like there's, there's so many things that this conversation ends up steering into different directions when we start talking about it morally. So just taking that out of it, I think it's people's individual's jobs to become as informed as, as possible. And then from there, if if you're going to do it, knowing the risk that's, that's on you then that's, that's something that I, again, it's a personal decision that I'm not going to judge anyone for that. Um, Hopefully they've done their, their, their homework because a lot of these things, you know, there are, there are side effects. These are real deal um, there's a reason they're prescribed. And so the side effects, I think, you know, there's nothing worse than, than feeling like crap. If you don't, you know, come off of a testosterone cold Turkey and, and, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to have, you know, sex drive and libido and things like that. So I think it's important for, for, for young people to realize the side effects when, you know, it's like, there's a reason plastic surgery, there's a consultation with a doctor. They, they let you know what to expect. And I think, you know, my only advice to, to young guys would be like, hey, if you're, if you're looking at this, have a consultation with a doctor. Let them talk to you about the, the side effects of, of low testosterone or too much testosterone, whether it's your heart, um, you know, whether it's, you know, so many things, acne, you know, impotence, all, all of these things. So, so no going into it and then decide. I've followed you for a while on social and I can't speak to you and not talk to you about golf because it it feels as though of everything you've ever done, this is what has captured your heart more than anything else. And I guess when, when guys get to a certain age, right, and it seems now that the thing to do is you either get into golf or you get into BJJ, but it was golf for you, right? No question. Yeah. You golf or what? Or, or, or jiu-jitsu. That oh, seems jiu-jitsu. To be- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw a meme the other day. It's like at 35, men's identity becomes either about their golf, their lawn, or restoring old cars. And I guess you could also add jiu-jitsu into that with the explosion of obviously Joe Rogan and jiu-jitsu with that. I definitely think that there's a certain uh, a certain group of people that you're right. It's like M- MMA style, um, you know, martial arts stuff. So I, I definitely think mine has been golf and 
And I don't know what it was. Like, I just, I remember I, during COVID, beginning of COVID, um, I lost to my brother and brother-in-law in golf. And, you know, I'd played golf, you know, once or twice, like once a year here, and then maybe didn't play for two years and then played. So, like, I was, you know, I, I was familiar with the game. Um, but I just, for whatever reason, during COVID, became obsessed with it because it was probably one of the only things I could do. And it is a sport that takes every complete mental focus. And I think, again, I'm an all or nothing type of person. You can't play golf. Um, you know, I, I, I saw something. It's like in golf, you have to practice like it's the most important thing in the world. And then when you play, you have to play as if it doesn't matter. There is this this diametrically opposed um kind of importance that you place on golf like you want to play so well but the harder you try kind of the worse you get so i've been attracted to it for the mental reasons it's teaching me patience it's teaching me you know like muscle like just going after something is actually the wrong way to to do things so it's kind of like it's it's i've learned so much from it and i've actually i've been obsessed so as i start you know my podcast one of the things i want to do is is have some some pga golfers on there because this this time this this place in history with golf is probably the coolest ever. You know, you might have Tiger at his peak, you know, being right up there as well. But with COVID, you had an influx of millions of new people to golf. Then you had Live, um, and we're still feeling kind of what, what's happening with that. Um, and then obviously the Netflix series. So it's just a crazy time. See, for me, look, when you got into it, I was thinking this is a natural progression for, for, for retired bodybuilders, right? Because you don't want to get into a sport where you're actually against, it's just you versus you. Is that what attracted you to the sport is if you, because of your, I know your mentality, if you do everything you can, there's nothing more you can give, right? Is, is that what attracts you to the sport rather than jujitsu or something else? Yeah, I, I think, A, I think it's, it's a, also, it's a social, it's a social thing that, you know, my wife, sisters like they'll go shopping they'll have lunch like if i want to hang out with my guys what do you do you're not gonna go shopping you're not you go golfing so it's like it's a it's it's it, it it's fun for social events but also it travels well so with with all the travel that we do really the only sport that you know i can't think of too many sports that are are universal the way golf is and you know everywhere you go in the world basically there's a there's a golf course so i actually told morgan I'm like i'll pay you ten thousand dollars when you break a hundred I didn't realize she's, I mean, I do, I do know how good of an athlete she is, but I thought golf was going to be harder for her. She's, she's still so good at golf. She got good fast. Um, and so like, we, we, we just love it. And I think that there, there is that aspect of like, I can go out one day and play the best I've ever played. And then the following day, for whatever reason, it's lost to me how to swing a golf club. And so there's never that like, ah, I figured this out. There's times where I'm like, okay, I got my swing figured out which lasts like a week and then it's back to the drawing board. So I think it is just that like that never ending progression. It, it is it, in a sense, it's like bodybuilding. Like you're never going to uh, achieve perfection. Hey, you can't in bodybuilding because body types, genetics play a factor into that. Um, so it's, it's always, you know, it's just multifaceted. There's the, the personal struggle. There's the social element. There's, there's the beauty of just being outside and how, how good you feel when you're, you're in nature doing things. And then there's the, you know, the physical side, which is, you know, if you're walking courses or whatever it is. So, yeah, I get, I, I, it's, it's fair to say I'm pretty obsessed with golf. And as someone who's had a lot of success in their career, was it actually quite nice and quite humbling to go and do something that you were like, I'm, I might be the, the, the bottom 10% of people here, right? Was it nice kind of getting your teeth into something that you were just naturally yeah. good at? Yeah, I, I think I'm attracted to, to, to I'm, I'm always interested, like, if I'm bad at something, I don't like being bad at things. So it, it, it's always fun for me to see improvement. And obviously, the more you do something, the less you're going to improve. Just that's just the the laws of nature. Is like you know to get to four percent, to get from like six percent to four percent, it's way harder than to get to ten percent. Like that's kind of golf. Like as your handicap gets lower and lower, more and more time you put into it. So go from going from like a twenty to a ten has taken me you know you know a, a, a long time you know in my head but relatively like i dropped fairly quickly from like a 20 to like a, a a 13 14 um but now that i'm kind of dealing with single digits it's it's a lot slower and it's like okay i'm gonna have to just go out and chip for an hour three times a week if i'm gonna wanna if i'm gonna wanna get to you know the low single digits and that's the hard thing it's like i, I love going to the range you know like so many guys 
to the simulator and hitting driver and long irons and things like that. But if you really want to score, if you want to learn how to score, you gotta, you gotta have a wedge in your hand. When we've spoken about enjoying the process and it's not about the destination, but do you want to get to scratch? Are you going to be happy when you finally get down there? I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I just knowing what I know about humans and me personally, I don't think there's ever going to be like, Oh my gosh, I have, I, I've, I've gotten as far as I want to go in golf. And it's, so it's kind of like, um, you know, I'm just enjoying the days that I'm hitting it. Well, yes. I mean, obviously I would love to get the scratch, but I, I think I've gotten to the point where if I can go out and, and make my way around a golf course without losing a golf ball without like, yeah, you're not going to sink 20 foot putts all the time. Like if you make one, you know, like when you start really looking at the numbers, it's like, you know, keeping my driving bounds. I love that. So there's markers that like, if I, if I hit those things, um, I, I know I'm, I'm happy with my, my game. So like right now, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm in the low eighties typically. Um, if I shoot in the seventies, I'm really happy. If I'm over, you know, 88, I'm not happy. So those are kind of the, the things that, that I'm, I'm tinkering with. And it's definitely my short game that I'm not great with. 